Well, good morning, everyone. We're continuing on with Keep Calm and Get Along. And the question this morning is this. What does love really look like? What does it mean to really love? A policeman calls the local precinct station on the car radio, and he says, Hello? Is that you, Serge? Yes. We have a murder case here. A woman has shot her husband for stepping on the kitchen floor that she's just mopped clean. Serge says, have you arrested the woman? No, sir, the floor is still wet. (laughs) Many of us are busy serving our families, doing the things that you're supposed to do because you're a father, because you're a mother, because you're a husband. But the whole time you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're feeling maybe bitter, you're feeling angry, you're feeling resentful, you wonder why you're not getting any help. In fact, this business of being a mother, a father, a husband is really getting to be quite taxing and you're wondering, is it all really worth it? If you're here this morning and you're feeling tired of the relationships that you're in, maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's you know boyfriend, girlfriend, I don't know, just your friends, people you work with, you're tired of it. Well, you've come to the right place because I want to help you. I want to help you not just get along with the people in your life, but actually really love them the way Christ has called us to love one another. In this age of hyper-marketing and advertising and, uh, and sales, we get a very, very strange picture about what love really is. And so uh, the media tells us that love actually looks like this. It's a, perhaps it's a candlelight dinner. That's love. Or two people staring into each other's eyes, sipping on champagne. That's love. Or maybe it's a gift of chocolate or jewelry or some trinkets. Or maybe it's a gift of money. Surely that's a way to express true love. Or perhaps if you really, really, really loved her, you would give her that new car she's been asking for. Or perhaps it's a vacation. You know the kind of vacation where it's a happy couple frolicking on the beach, sipping fancy exotic drinks, getting a couple's massage for two weeks per year. And the marvelous thing about this love is that miraculously you become very skinny and good looking. That's what the media says anyway. Love has been romanticized into something that is almost impossible to achieve for the average people. And the thing is this, folks. That's not in the Bible at all. The Bible is the go-to book to understand what love is. The Bible is the go-to book to understand how to love one another. And I'm going to tell you right now, right now there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that Love looks like a candlelight dinner with two people staring into each each other's eyes. It might happen, but that's not really what love is. So as we continue in our new series, Keep Calm and, and Get Along, we're asking the question, what is love and what does it look like? As Christians, we come to church because we believe that God has got answers for us in this book called the Bible. 
When you come to church here, you don't expect to hear me quoting from psychology today or, uh, or Mind or the book or the other magazine, Psychology Review. You expect me to quote from Scripture. You, you expect me to tell you what Christ tells us to do. And so here in church today, we want to learn how to have great relationships with our spouse, with our kids, with our, with our siblings, our parents, with all the people in our lives. And I'm going to tell you this. The last great lesson that Jesus taught before he went to the cross, interestingly, is all about how to love one another, how to get along with each other. He teaches us what love looks like. And so t- let's take a look at that. We come to John chapter 13, in the Gospel of John. Jesus has just been through what we call the, the, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Some of you, if you're familiar with the Gospels, you'll know that just before Easter is Palm Sunday. It's a celebration of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Jesus is on the way to the cross. He's on the way to die for the, our sins. And uh, he gathers his disciples around for one last meal. And here's what he says to them, John 13, 34. He says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Sort of the last instructions. Love each other. That's his instructions. Listen, folks. The one phrase that should define or mark a believer is his love for one another. And love for each other. And Jesus says, and here's what that love looks like. Just as I have loved you, You should love each other. Now, to help us understand this, to understand the kind of love that Jesus expressed, what we need to do is I need to take you on a trip. Anybody up for a trip this morning? Hawaii, anyone? Actually, we're going to do some time travel. I'm going to take you back 1980 years ago. And I had an elderly gentleman after the first service say to me, thank you for bringing me back to my teenage years. (laughs) He said, I'd like to, I said, I want to take you back to 1980 years ago. I want to take you back to that, that night. That night when Jesus met with his disciples and gave this command. It was, a, it was a dark night. The disciples felt that something wasn't right. They weren't sure what was right, but they knew something wasn't right. And they should have been happy. They, they, in fact, they should have been really charged up because they had just been with Christ as he came triumphantly into Jerusalem. And the people are shouting and screaming. They're singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. And they're waving palm branches. It was, it was a charged up time. And they, they should have been sort of at the very peak of, of their experience as disciples. But Jesus, is, he's not right. Something's not right. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus was troubled inside. And he had alluded to the fact that he, had act, he was going to die. And they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't connect the dots. It didn't make sense. I mean, Jesus was being heralded as a victor, as a king. Jesus is not, not feeling very good. Jesus uh, was a marked man. The leaders of, of Jerusalem, the Pharisees, they wanted to kill Jesus because they saw Jesus as a threat to their position and their power. They felt that Jesus was was a revolutionary and that he was undermining their authority. He was coming along with a brand new teaching, a teaching about love, a teaching about having a heart for God. And they wanted to kill him. 
By this time, Jesus, Jesus knows it. He knows that Judas has gone and made a deal with the Pharisees and the religious rulers. He's made a deal to betray Christ. Jesus knows this. The disciples don't. They're still riding high. Jesus began the week riding into Jerusalem to shout of praise, Hosanna. Now, here's what you need to know. The shout Hosanna means to save us. And it was, it was a phrase that the people would use for someone they respected or believed was their king. And this is really troubling the Pharisees now. They're calling him a king, really, by, calling, by saying Hosanna to the son of David. They're recognizing him as a king. And to make matters even worse, they were waving palm branches. And palm branches were, were symbolic of a victorious leader, a victorious ruler. I mean, make no mistake about it. Everybody understood what was going on. Jesus was being recognized as the Messiah. He was being recognized as the king of Israel. And to make matters even worse, he's riding on a donkey, which is a fulfillment of the messianic prophecy about their king coming and riding on a donkey in peace. I'll tell you, the religious rulers, they weren't having it. They didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. They just thought he was a threat and they wanted to kill him. And again, to make matters even worse than that, just last week, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead and everybody knows about it. Everybody wants a piece of Jesus. They want to, they want to get there. They want to experience him. They want to see him. They want to touch him. They want to hear what he's got to say. The disciples in the presence of Jesus, who is now really the superstar of Jerusalem, the superstar of Jerusalem called Jesus of Nazareth, they were feeling powerful because of their association with Christ. They were feeling invincible. They were feeling that, you know, it's just a matter of days now when we will be ruling with Jesus. We will be taking power. We will be kicking the Romans out of Israel and we'll be in charge around here. They're feeling ready to take over Jerusalem. And the Pharisees, they're absolutely hysterical. They are so, so worried about their position. And so they're gathering Judas together and they're saying, look, we've got to come up with a plan. And where, where does he go to, where does he go in the, in the evening? And Judas says, well, he likes to go to pray at a place called Gethsemane. And they're saying, okay, look, at what we're going to do is we're going to bring a guard and you lead us to where he prays. And then when we get there, Judas, give, give Jesus whoever he is, because it's dark, we can't see him, but give him a kiss on the cheek, and then we'll know that he's the guy we've got to arrest. It's all sorted out. The rest of the disciples don't have a clue that this is going on. But Jesus knows. And here's the thing that you and I need to understand. No one knows that what is about to happen is the greatest act of love The greatest act of love is about to unfold. Jesus Christ, who is recognized as the king, recognized as the Messiah, recognized as the one who's powerful enough to raise someone from the dead, Jesus Christ is about to lay down his life for all who put their faith in him. Jesus says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is about to die for us as a supreme act of love. Jesus says, this is what love is, that you're ready to die 
for the people in your life. Now here's, here's what Jesus says before he gives this commandment. Because he wants to teach his disciples what it means to really love. They've just come in from wandering through Jerusalem and dusty and dirty, got just sandals on, their feet are dirty. And everybody knows that at the end of a hard day, you come in, you wash your feet, and you settle down, you have your meal. And those who, who were maybe a little bit well-to-do, they would have a servant that would come and wash your feet for you. Jesus comes with his disciples, and nobody's budging. Nobody's offering to wash anybody's feet. But then suddenly Jesus does a very strange thing. Now remember, this is the powerful Jesus who has just been recognized as a conqueror, as the king. He gets down on his knees, gets a bowl of water, begins to wash his disciples' feet. His disciples are horrified. What's, oh, what's going on here? This is too weird. I can't take this. Almighty Jesus, our rabbi, our teacher that we've followed for three years now, he's getting down on his knees to wash my feet. And Peter says, no way. There's no way, Jesus, that you are going to wash my feet. I can't take it. This is too bizarre. It's too weird. I'll wash your feet, Jesus, but you're not washing my feet. And then Jesus makes a startling statement. He says, Peter, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you got no part in me. We, we, got, we got nothing to do with each other. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. Jesus has set for us an example. In John 13, verse 14, he says this, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Jesus is the supreme servant. In fact, he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. In fact, to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus is saying this to those of us who are followers of Christ. If you're going to follow me, and if you're going to live the way I've asked you to live, if you're going to obey me, then here's what it's going to look like. You're going to be a servant. You're going to serve one another. So Jesus teaches us what real love is and what it means to serve. There's two critical lessons that we need to learn here today if we're going to properly serve. Properly serve. You know, last week uh, I told you about bizarre wedding vows that have been, been used. And I, you know, people ask, Pastor Alan, when we get married, can we do our own vows? And I used to say, sure, no problem, you know. I thought, you know, they're going to go to Google it and find, you know, something decent and... and uh, until one day I got these vows, and in the vows it said, I promise to be committed to you for as long as we both shall love. Now, for some of you that sounds reasonable, but based on what I just told you about Jesus Christ and his example about what love is, remember love is serving, listen, listen to what those vows sound like based on what Jesus has just taught us. Here's what it sounds like. It sounds like this. I promised, I promised to be committed to you for as long as I feel like serving you. But when I'm sick and tired of serving you, we're finished. That's what those vows come out to. I'm, I promise to be committed to you for as long as I feel like serving you. But when I'm 
sick and tired of serving you, then we're finished. And Jesus is saying this, what real love is, is a commitment to serve you for the rest of my life. And some of you are sitting here today and saying, Pastor, I can't, I can't live by that standard. That's, that standard's way too difficult. But I disagree with you. I would say that, of course, you can live by this standard. And I can prove to you that you can live by this standard. Do you remember when you first fell in love with that guy, with that girl? And you were so in love with him. You were so in love with her. You would literally do anything for her because you loved her. She said, honey, I need a chocolate bar. Can you go to this? You, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. Off you go. Right? Or he says to you, oh, dear, I'm so hungry. Can you make me a sandwich? But what do you want? Anything in it. It's yours. Do you remember when you first had babies? Those of you who don't have babies, this is what you got to look forward to. I remember when Jesse was born. And he didn't cry much. He was not, a, not one of those crying kind of babies. And it, it scared me a little bit. I thought, is there something wrong? And I said to the doctor, I said, is something wrong with my son? He doesn't cry very much. And the doctor looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> the Greek doctor. And I said, is there something wrong? He said, well, watch this. And he flicked Jesse's little foot. Boom, like that. And Jesse just let it away. It was the best sound I ever heard. It didn't bother me in the least because I loved my son. Nothing he could do could make me not love him. And when we brought him home from the hospital, sometimes he'd be a little bit colicky, and sometimes, you know, he'd just cry and inconsolable. And so I picked Jesse up on my arm. He's not here this morning, so I can do this. I lay him across my arm, his little, little arms, his little, little legs dangling, his little cheek in my hand like this, and I'd stick my little finger in his little mouth, and he's fine. <laughs> and I just walk around and hold him. Don't tell him about this, Colby, or kill me. I walk around with him and, and calm him down. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I should be sleeping, but I don't mind because I love him. I'll serve him. I will do whatever it takes for my little boy. I love my little boy. I can tell you I can't put him over my arm anymore. <laughs> I'll do anything to serve him. Do you remember when you first developed a close friendship with somebody? You really felt like kindred spirits. And you felt, man, I'd do anything for my bud. I'd take a bullet. Have you ever heard that expression? I'd take a bullet for him. Now, you just finished telling me that you couldn't live by this standard, but it turns out you can. The problem is, is that as life goes on, feelings of selfishness tend to take over. How many know what I'm talking about? In the first, the first year of marriage, what do we call it? We call it the honeymoon phase, right? And then the second year starts the war. No, hopefully it didn't start the war phase. But now you're getting a little bit tired, maybe, of doing all this serving. And here's what you need to know. For so many of us, our feelings of selfishness take over. And before long, we discover that, in fact, feelings are very dangerous if they're not controlled. 
Because suddenly you start making decisions based not on the teachings of Christ, but based on how you feel. The worst thing in the world that a young couple could say to each other is that I will love you as long as I feel like I love you. I'm going to tell you, it's not even logical because love actually is a verb. It's something that you do. But our society, our culture, Wall Street, they've taught us that we only have to love as long as we feel like it. But Jesus tells us quite the contrary, doesn't he? He tells us that what we got to do is we got to love like he loves. Just as I have loved you, so you should love each other. Now, let me ask you this question this morning. What would happen to you became a Christian and, you know, God has helped you clean up your mess and God's forgiven you. You've sinned. You've fallen short, but God's forgiven you. What would happen after a few years in when God all of a sudden said, Tasa, I'm, you're really bugging me. You know, it's like you should have learned that lesson by now. I'm, I'm getting a little bit tired. What if he said, you know what, I don't feel like it anymore. You're done. How'd you feel, John? Man, it's really harsh. But listen to me. Jesus loves you. And he has committed to serve you to the point of laying down his life for you. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, this is how you're going to live. You're going to begin to serve. You're going to begin to love the people in your life the way that I love you. So here's what it comes down to. Love means, there's two lessons for you this morning. Love means that you're going to obey Christ and not your feelings. Love means you're going to obey Christ and not your feelings. Look, everybody knows, because I keep telling you how much I love this church. I love Cross Church. I love every single person in this church. There's not an exception to that. Every single person here, I love them. I even love those 45 smelly guys out at Camp Arnaz. I love them. And it's my great joy, my great delight, my great honor and privilege to call you my sheep, and to be called your pastor, your shepherd. And I always say this. I said, my job as your shepherd is to get you safely home, to take care of you, to protect you, to feed you, to get you safe into the presence of Jesus someday. In the meantime, i got to admit to you, it's not always easy. Does everybody know what I'm saying? Sometimes I don't feel like serving. Sometimes I've, had, I've worked 60, 80 hours a week, and that's not an exaggeration. Ask Gloria. Lock, work long, long hours, and there'll be one more phone call. And you would not believe what kind of phone calls I get. Things that could easily wait till Monday, or things that could easily wait till Tuesday. But I answer my phone every single time. And if I can't answer it, I, get, I phone back as soon as I can. Why? Because Jesus has called me to serve you. Now, there's sometimes I feel exhausted. Sometimes I feel tired. Sometimes I don't feel like doing this, but I do it. Why? Because this is what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be a follower. 
Sometimes I don't feel like being a father. Sometimes I don't feel like having that kind of stress and that kind of demand on my time. But I serve not according to my feeling, but according to the command of Christ. I'll tell you this, I love you out of obedience for Christ. And I'll tell you this, most of the times my feelings are quite aligned with the command of Christ, but sometimes they're not. Now listen, I love you, I serve you, because Christ commands it. And so you love your spouse, your wife, your husband, your kids, the people you work with, because Christ commands it. Now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Now what's the second thing that you need to learn from this? And it's this. Love means that you give up power. I'll tell you this. The one who loves the most in a relationship is always the most powerless. The one who loves the least in a relationship has got all the power. Now, I want you to recognize something about Jesus. He comes to Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem, and the, the, the people, all the people, are, are virtually ready to appoint him their king. But you see, Jesus has not come to rule or to dominate people. He's come to love people. Do you get that? He's coming into Jerusalem as a conqueror of people's hearts. That's who Jesus is. He's, a, he's, he's come to rule in our hearts. Now, now watch this. Every victor, every conqueror in history, Caesar to Napoleon to Hitler, what do they do? They come, they conquer, and they dominate. And they kill their enemies, and they destroy anything that sets itself up in opposition not Jesus. What does Jesus do? He comes to die for us. He comes to love us. He comes to wash our feet. He comes to take care of us and meet our needs. And Jesus says, this is the standard that you and I live by. We make up our mind that we are not going to dominate the people in our life because that's what we want to do. And I'll tell you this, if you want to be the boss and hold the power in your family, you'll never enjoy the blessings of loving relationships. You'll never enjoy that close-knit relationship with your children, your spouse, your kids. I'm going to tell you this. If you're trying to dominate and control the people in your life, how many know what I'm talking about when I talk about a control freak? Don't anybody point to your spouse, please. But you know what I'm talking about, Right? If you're going to experience the blessing of loving and meaningful relationships, then you cannot dominate. And look at this, folks. No one wants to be dominated. Not even God will dominate you. That comes as a surprise to some people. Not even God will dominate you. What God does is he loves us. And he takes the risk of dying on the cross for us. He takes the risk of serving us. Folks, understand something right now. Love always serves. 
Don't talk to me about love unless you're talking to me in terms of how are you going to serve your children? How are you going to serve your wife? How are you going to serve your husband? Some people are thinking, man, I, I really, really can't do this. If I, if I serve pastor the way you're asking me to serve, I'm not going to enjoy my life. Well, I've, I've got news for you. Jesus Christ teaches us how to live. And if you look at Hebrews chapter thir- or John chapter 13, verses um, 12 to 17, here's what you discover. Jesus says this. Listen to this. After washing their feet, he put on his robe and sat down and asked, did you understand what I was doing? That is when I was washing your feet. Did you understand that? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. Now watch this. Let's substitute the word teacher or Lord for mom or dad or husband or wife. Watch this. You call me mom or dad, and you're right, because that's what I am. You call me husband or wife, and you're right, that's what I am. Now listen to this. And since I am your mom, your dad, as your mom and dad, I've washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Now, did you see what happened there? Now, let the Spirit of God speak to you. What you're doing for the people in your life is you are setting for them an example. When your kids see you serving them, guess what happens? They begin to learn how they should live. And even as you are serving your children or serving your spouse, now suddenly your kids are going to start serving you. They're serving by example, not by domination. This does not make sense to the natural mind, but I'm going to tell you this. If you are hearing the Spirit of God speak to you right now, then you will begin to understand a brand new way of living. For some of you, you'll say, well, I'll serve you if you serve me. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, if I... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You ought to wash each other's feet. What you're doing is you're teaching your children how to serve each other. You're teaching your children how to serve their friends. You're teaching the people in your life how to serve. And Jesus goes on to say this. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now, what do most parents say? Do as I say, but not as I do. There's a reason your kids are the way they are. It's because they've learned well from the masters. They've learned from their mom and dad. Now, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings here today, but what I am trying to do is I'm trying to get you to think about how you are living your life. And Jesus teaches us how to live. He's teaching us to serve one another. Even as we serve others, our children, our spouse, our friends, they begin to learn what real love looks like. And then verse 16, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Do you want to experience a blessing in your marriage? A blessing with your, the people you work with? You want to experience a blessing with your children? Your children love you? And start serving. Start serving them and start watching what will happen. It's going to change the tone of your home. It's going to change the tone of your relationship with your kids. It's going to change the tone of your workplace. 
People are going to begin to say, what on earth has happened to Jared? What's happened to Tasa? They've changed. They're different. What's happened to Alan? I'll tell you what's happened. He's taken serious the teachings of Jesus. Boy, it's pretty cool now. My kids say to me, hey, Dad, can I get you anything? I'll be sitting there reading whatever. Sarah, you want me to get you coffee, Dad? What? Jesse says, hey, Dad, can I take you for lunch? Hey, Dad, get in the car, I'll drive. Really? My kids now are serving me. I don't have to tell them to do it. Where'd they learn that? They learned that from their mother. No. (laughs) They learned that from their mother and their father. I want to tell you something. The first person that I serve in my life is my wife. She comes first. I serve her. Gloria and I, in fact, we try to outdo each other in serving one another. I get up early in the morning, Sunday morning, and I never, ever, ever ask her to do this, but she always jumps up and goes and gets me a coffee and a piece of toast and some scrambled eggs. Did that this morning. Never, never asked. I don't expect it. I don't ask her to do it. In fact, I'd rather she stay in bed and get a good rest. But it's her delight. It's her joy. She loves doing it. I can't stop her from doing that. And in the morning when she's going to work, I, get, I roll out of bed no matter how tired I am, and I say, I'm driving you to work. And I'm going to come and pick you up at the end of this shift. Why? Because I want to serve her. It's the thing that brings me the greatest joy in my life. Listen to me, folks. This is how Jesus has called us to live. And this is what brings joy and harmony to our marriage and to our family. Because someone has got to serve. I serve my kids next. They're, they're second. I, you know what? I, I, I told you I serve this church, but my wife and my kids come first. Everybody okay with that? Everyone's cool with that? If you don't like it, talk to the elders. <laughs> they come first. Because I, I want my kids to go to heaven. I, I want my church to go to heaven, but I, I don't want to serve a church and my kids, you know, they wander off and you think, well, what a bunch of baloney this is. My kids all love God. They all love going to church. They all love being here. They all love serving. Why? Because I've served them as their father. Their mother has served them. And next, I serve you. My phone's always on. You can always get me. Everybody in this church knows that I'm probably the most accessible pastor in, in the country. Because I'm your, I'm your shepherd. I, I take this very seriously. I'm responsible for you. It's my job to take good care of you. So that's, that's who I serve. Now, some of you are saying, oh, it's not very spiritual. He didn't mention God. What about serving God? Well, can I just remind everybody? The way to serve God is to serve the people in your life. If you're not serving the people in your life, I don't care how many songs you sing. I don't care how much money you put in the offering plate. I don't care how many missions trips you go on. You're not serving God. Hello? The way to serve God is by serving your spouse, serving your children, serving the people at work, serving the people around you. And you say, well, Pastor Allen, what about me? <laughs> ah, I'm glad you asked that question. You will never be happy until you learn to serve. Jesus said this, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. 
and to give my life as a ransom for many. I came to die. And this will not make sense to your natural mind, but the thing that's going to bring you great joy and great happiness is serving the people around you. Watch what happens. Watch what happens. You'll come alive again, and you'll experience the joy of the Lord. Jesus makes a very shocking statement in John 13, 35. I'm going to close with this. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And some of us think, oh, that means I've got to love the people at church. Well, yeah, it does. But first, it means you're going to love the people that God has put in your life, which means your wife, your husband, your kids, the people you work with. Love those people, Jesus says, and you're going to prove to the world that you really are, in fact, Christians. Don't tell me you're a Christian. Show me. Hello? Don't tell me how religious you are and how much you are devoted to Christ. Show me. By serving your kids, put them first. And I'm going to tell you this. Your kids are going to grow up to love you. They're going to adore you. They're going to respect you. Basically, folks, they're going to do whatever you do. But you've got to serve them. You know, we're very thrilled today to be praying and sending off a couple, a young couple in our church who felt God calling them for some time now to go and serve the people in the Philippines. And we're going to close with this. I'm going to ask Jarrell and Wendy, if you come on up here and ask our, a few of our elders and leaders to come. We're going to pray. I'm going to pray for them and send them on their way. Wendy, Jarrell, stand right here. You've seen these two 